The horrors came crowding in on her thick and fast. The spectacle of two young women giving breast to their babies made her blush and turn away her face. Lenina had never seen anything so indecent in her life. The passage of an old woman with a disease of the skin distracted her. Let's go away. I don't like it. But at this moment, their guide, beckoning them to follow, led the way down the narrow street. He halted at the foot of a ladder and pointed upwards. They climbed the ladder and walked into a long, narrow room, dark and smelling of smoke and cooked grease. At the further end was another doorway through which came a shaft of sunlight and the noise, very loud and close, of drums. They stepped across the threshold and found themselves on a wide terrace. Below them, shut in by the tall houses, was the village square, crowded with red Indians. Bright blankets and feathers in black hair and the glint of turquoise and dark skin shining with heat. Lenina liked the drums. Shutting her eyes, she abandoned herself to their soft, repeated thunder. It reminded her reassuringly of the synthetic noises made at Solidarity Services and Ford's Day celebrations. Porgy, porgy, she whispered to herself. Suddenly the square was swarming with a ghastly troop of monsters, hideously masked or painted out of all semblance of humanity, they tramped out a strange limping dance, round and again round, singing as they went, round and round. Then the leader, an old man, lifted his hand, and startlingly, terrifyingly, there was absolute silence. The dancers ran out of the square. Men, women, children, all the crowd ran after them. A minute later, the square was empty. There was the sound of feet in the inner room. Bernard turned. The dress of the young man who now stepped out onto the terrace was red Indian, but his plaited hair was straw-coloured, his eyes a pale blue, and his skin, a white skin, bronzed. Hello. Good morrow, said the stranger. You're civilised, aren't you? You come from the other place, outside the reservation. Who on earth... began Bernard. The young man sighed. A most unhappy gentleman. Then he was silent, gaping. Lenina was smiling at him. Such a nice-looking boy, she was thinking. And a really beautiful body. The blood rushed up into the young man's face. He had to turn away and pretend to be looking very hard at something on the other side of the square. Bernard's questions made a diversion. Who? How? When? The young man tried to explain himself. His name was John. He and Linda, his mother, the word made Lenina look uncomfortable, were strangers in the reservation. Linda had come from the other place long ago with a man who was his father, She'd gone walking alone in those mountains over there to the north, had fallen down a steep place and hurt her head. Some hunters from Malpay had found her and brought her to the Pueblo. As for the man who was his father, Linda had never seen him again. His name was Tomakin. Yes, Thomas was the director's first name.
He must have flown away, back to the other place, away without her. A bad, unkind, unnatural man. And so I was born in Malpe, he concluded. Oh, the squalor of that little house on the outskirts of the Pueblo. Two famine-stricken dogs were nosing obscenely in the garbage at its door. Inside, when they entered, the twilight stank and was loud with flies. Linda, called the young man. Coming. They waited. The door opened. A very stout, blonde squaw stepped across the threshold and stood staring at the strangers, her mouth open. Lennon noticed with disgust that two of the front teeth were missing, and the colour of the ones that remained. She shuddered. So fat, and all the lines in her face. And under the brown sack-shaped tunic, those enormous breasts, the bulge of the stomach, the hips. Suddenly the creature rushed at her with outstretched arms, and... Ford, it was too revolting, pressed her against the bulge of the bosom and began to kiss her. Now a blubbered and distorted face confronted her. The creature was crying. Oh, my dear, my dear, if you knew how glad after all these years, a civilized face, yes, and civilized clothes... She fingered the sleeve of Lenina's shirt. The nails were black. Do you know, dear, I've still got my old clothes, the ones I came in, put away in a box, and such a lovely white bandolier, though I must say your green Morocco is even lovelier. <sighs> Not that it did me much good, that bandolier. Her tears began to flow again. I was so ashamed just to think of it. Me, a beater, having a baby. Put yourself in my place. The mere suggestion made Lenin a shudder. I still don't know how it happened, seeing that I did all the Malthusian drill, and of course there wasn't anything like an abortion centre here. Is it still down in Chelsea? Lenin nodded. That lovely pink glass tower... Poor Linda lifted her face and with closed eyes ecstatically contemplated the bright, remembered image. Then she looked round and saw that John and Bernard had left them and were walking up and down outside the house. Everything here is mad. Take the way they have one another here. Doesn't everybody belong to everyone else? Don't they? She tugged at Lenina's sleeve. Lenina nodded her averted head. Well, here, nobody's supposed to belong to more than one person. And if you have people in the ordinary way, the others think you're wicked and antisocial. They hate and despise you. Once, a lot of women came and made a scene because their men came to see me. It was too awful. I can't tell you about it. Linda covered her face with her hands and shuddered. Outside, in the dust and among the garbage... Bernard and John were walking slowly up and down. As though we were living on different planets, Bernard was saying. I'll never understand unless you explain. Go back as far back as you can remember. John frowned. There was a long silence. 
It was very hot. Linda and he were asleep in the big bed. There was a loud noise, and he woke with a start. A man was saying something to Linda, and Linda was laughing. Round the man's arm was a lovely silver bracelet with blue stones in it. Linda said, Not with John here. The man bent over the bed towards him, and his face was huge, terrible. No, said Linda. But the man took hold of one of his arms and lifted him up. He kicked and wriggled, but the man carried him across to the door, opened it, put him down on the floor in the middle of the other room, and went away, shutting the door behind him. Pope used to come with a big gourd full of stuff that looked like water, only it wasn't but something that burnt your mouth and made you cough. Linda drank some, and Pope drank some, and then Linda laughed a lot and talked very loud, and then she and Pope went into the other room. When Pope went away, he went in. Linda was in bed and so fast asleep that he couldn't wake her. Pope used to come often. He hated Pope. He hated all the men who came to see Linda. Sometimes, for several days, Linda didn't get up at all. She lay in bed and was sad, or else she drank the stuff that Pope brought and laughed a great deal and went to sleep. Often she forgot to wash him, and there was nothing to eat except cold tortillas. The happiest times were when she told him about the other place, about the lovely music that came out of a box, and all the nice games you could play, and the delicious things to eat and drink, and the pictures that you could hear and feel and smell as well as see, and everybody happy, and no one ever sad or angry, and everyone belonging to everyone else, and the boxes where you could see and hear what was happening at the other side of the world, and babies in lovely clean bottles. Everything so clean, and no nasty smells, no dirt at all. He listened by the hour. Linda taught him to read. With a piece of charcoal, she drew pictures on the wall an animal sitting down, a baby inside a bottle. Then she wrote letters. The cat is on the mat. The tot is in the pot. He learned quickly and easily. One day, John calculated later that it must have been soon after his twelfth birthday, he came home and found a thick book that he'd never seen before lying on the floor in the bedroom. The book was called The Complete Works of William Shakespeare. He opened the book at random. Nay, but to live in the rank sweat of an ensemed bed, stewed in corruption, honeying and making love over the nasty sty. The strange words rolled through his mind like the drums at the summer dances, like the men singing the corn song, beautiful, beautiful, so that you cried. Like old Mitsima saying magic over his feathers and his carved sticks and his bits of bone and stone. He hated Pope more and more. A man can smile and smile and be a villain, remorseless, treacherous, lecherous, kindless, villain. What did the words exactly mean? 
he only half knew. But their magic was strong and went on rumbling in his head. One day, when he came in from playing, the door of the inner room was open, and he saw them lying together on the bed, asleep, Linda and Pope, one dark hand on her breast. Pope's gourd and a cup were standing on the floor near the bed. Linda was snoring. Suddenly, his cheeks burnt, the room swam and darkened before his eyes, and suddenly there were more words. When he is drunk asleep or in his rage or in the incestuous pleasure of his bed. He stepped back in the outer room. The knife for the meat was lying on the floor near the fireplace. He picked it up, ran across the room and stabbed. Oh, the blood. Stabbed again. As he lifted his hand to stab once more, he found his wrist caught and held. Pope lifted his other hand, took him under the chin and turned his face so that he had to look into Pope's eyes. Suddenly, he couldn't help it. He began to cry. Pope burst out laughing. Go, he said in the other Indian words. Go, my brave Ahayuta. He ran out into the other room to hide his tears.